AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hi, I'm Chelsea Handler. Welcome to Life Will Be the Death of Me, a production of iHeartRadio. Good morning, Brandon. Good morning, Chelsea. What day is it? And it's... what? Well, today it's going to be Thursday when people hear this, okay. or it might be the day after, or the day after that. Well, a little inside knowledge: we record this on Monday. Okay, okay. So today's Monday. How was your weekend? Was... I saw you over the weekend. Actually, I saw you a lot over the weekend. You were at my house a lot. Saturday you... and Sunday. I know. Wasn't that nice? That was nice. Thank you. Came up and I had a little pool party on Saturday for some friends mm-hmm. and their kids because yeah. every once in a while I like to have kids at my house just to remind myself. That they shouldn't be there. And then you came and cleaned up Sunday morning, and that was really nice of you. And I, I don't know if you noticed, but I cleaned up the dog shit on Sunday morning. Actually, the house was in got pretty there. good condition when mm-hmm. I got there. I only went because you had a guest staying, so I wanted to make sure that everything was but, on the up and up. That we made a good impression there. and there yeah. were no drugs out or anything like that. And there exactly. weren't. Well, and after kids being there, I thought for sure there would be. Yeah, and there were not. There, there were, were not. not. Everybody behaved themselves that day at the pool. It was like unlike any other day. Joining us today in studio are Dan Morio and Jenny Molin, my two friends, my two very dear friends, who came with me to Peru to do ayahuasca for my Netflix special, Chelsea Does Drugs, a few years ago. So we are reuniting in studio to discuss the effects, the experience, and the after effects. So for those of you who are not familiar with ayahuasca, it is a plant that is grown in Peru that is used as a hallucinogenic I wouldn't. Would you describe it as a psychedelic? It is a psychedelic, I believe, Dan. I don't know. Okay. Anyway, that's the information we have on ayahuasca. Brandon, you were not in my life at this point. No, this was right before me. Right. But now that I've done ayahuasca, you probably, because when you met me, you didn't drink or smoke weed. Correct. And now look at you. Leaning in hard. Right. And how do you feel about your life since you started imbibing and, you know. I feel good. I think that everyone should experience something. Like you, you actually say in the documentary that you want to know what everything feels like like there's nothing you don't want to try and i've tried to take more of that on even in little things like something that i would have said no to trying food related before like we went and had oysters which never interested me mm-hmm. and you're like you just have to do it yeah what's the worst that's going to happen that's kind of what i've taken on well in- that's good and also i think that you have a lot of people have are under the assumption that if you are partaking in alcohol or you know cannabis use especially there's a stereotype that you can't get shit done or that you're lazy. And that is not true either. You can get things done. I am, I'm inherently lazy anyway, but I still get things done on cannabis. You're the highest functioning cannabis user hmm. I've ever encountered. Let me drink to that. To One second. Let me have a drink of this tea. Uh, well, thank you, Brandon. And I'm glad that you started imbibing because you were wound very tight. Yes, I am. And I would say that you've loosened up a lot. I think it's really helped, except for the other day, I did take a 2.5 milligram 
mint at the house when I was feeling a little anxious. And then what I. What were you feeling anxious about? I don't know. It was just early morning. I got there and I just knew I felt wound tight. And I was like, you know what? Just take this. It's 2.5. It's just going to take the edge off. And then I came home three hours later and he had his shoes off, feet up on the table, <laughs> had a bunch of books and snacks around him. Well, not books, snacks and paperwork, I guess. I was still trying to work. Yeah, but lounging. And yeah. so I didn't want to disturb him. So I went up to my room and hid there until he was done relaxing. But I had to admittedly tell you what had happened. Yes, you did tell me yeah. that you were high. And I said, good for you. Yeah. Good for you. What a workplace. Okay. So hi, guys. How are you? Hi. Hi, Jenny from New York and, and Danny from Jenny from the block and Danny from the Valley. Hi. Hi, guys. It's nice to reunite. Hey. The three of us haven't actually been together since we did the Iowa. Or no, we did an episode of the Netflix show right after post-Ayahuasca, maybe? No. No, I don't think we didn't. We did. Oh, we did it. Okay, no, we, we seen... just parted ways and decided that we were like never going to speak again. And then the three of us were never going to be in the same place at no, the same I've actually, time. Jenny it's dangerous. Actually, Jenny has put me up in her apartment and not even bothered to hang out with me while that was happening. Was she in the city? At the I city? went to the city and she's like, stay at my apartment. And then I texted her to hang out. And Chelsea let me stay at her like, house in mm. Spain. Yeah, she stayed at my house in Spain where I also didn't see her. I think that's how she rolls. I think she just wants to pa- <laughs> like pass like ships in the night. So make you think you're still in yeah. a friendship, but never actually seeing each other, which is what's happening right chase. now because you're you're in New York and we're in L.A. She's doing it again. <laughs> so we're talking about uh, ayahuasca today, and I, I think it's a good time to check in. How many years has it been since our experience together? Has it been? Three or four? I think it's been longer than four. that. Four. I, I think it's been that four doc- years. Okay, so it's been four years, and none of us have done it since. And you guys, I think we all, it had an impact on all three of us. Let's talk about how long each person's trip was, because mine, the first night was kind of interrupted by by you guys, which I was happy to, to have it interrupted. But you guys, would you say it was like an hour, two hours? I feel like when I settled in, it took about 15 minutes for it to begin, and that the trip itself was a few minutes only. No, it wasn't a few minutes. Like, well, you're laying there for much longer than that. Uh I think you mean lying. I think you mean lying there. Oh, please. Lying there for for maybe 20, 30. (laughs) (laughs) You're probably lying there for 30 minutes or laying there. And yeah, I, I think there was only the story that I told less than five minutes. Oh, that's interesting. I don't. What Where about Jenny? I you know, like, Jenny's. Talking... I feel like it lasted a lifetime, and yet <laughs> in real time, it was probably I would say an hour and a half, two hours. Now, does that is start to finish? Is that you drinking the cup of whatever you drank? The sickness. Oh, so and the, then yeah, the you drink. I feel like you drink and you're instantly in it. I mean, maybe okay. five minutes tops. Yeah, I and mean, Dan it... went down before any of us. You guys, Dan, it was like two minutes, and and he's so thin that his body just like it took over. <laughs> it almost yeah, it almost discombobulated right there in yes. front of us. That's what yes. I was scared. See, that that's he would not pass. inappropriate. That that word makes no sense in that context. <laughs> discombobulated. Yeah. yeah, sorry, sorry. You're right. I stand corrected. At least I'm not laying bricks over there while I'm lying down. So as soon as the trip is done, do you feel normal again? Completely I, normal. Yeah. I mean, you feel enlightened, but you feel completely sober. And you also, the, the great thing is you remember everything. And we still remember yes. everything. It's remember, been years. Yeah. Like you remember the scenes and it's not like a drug mm-hmm. where sometimes it's blurry or mm-hmm. alcohol, which can, you know, make you yeah. not remember this You remember everything, which is an advantage. And that's why I think it can be so therapeutic because you are remembering everything. And there's no come Mm -hmm. down. No, you're not. No zero come down. It's not like that. So it that, almost felt like you, you're you like, I, I have never been hypnotized, but you know, when you see people and the, you know, the, whoever it is, the magician or the therapist snaps their fingers and the person is fine. That's what it felt like when he said the trip's over. I looked, I turned to Chelsea. I was like, I guess it's over. Yeah. It wasn't, it didn't take anything. It's a really weird feature of, of mm-hmm. that drug that mm-hmm. you, you're, if mushrooms is like augmented reality, ayahuasca is like virtual reality and you're in total control. It's like you're immersed in something. It is like VR. Quest. That's so true. Yeah. yeah. And there's nothing physiological other than being sick to your stomach in a forest. There's nothing like physiologically going on. Right. You can just, after you've laid down and you're meditating, your focus is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. 
I think you mean after you lay down. Because you're not a chicken, are you? Do you lay eggs? I don't appreciate this grammar <laughs> lesson. <laughs> Why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience then and how you look at it now? So when you asked me to do it, I was in the middle of finishing my book that was sort of about my journey through motherhood. And I felt like, oh, my God, this is a perfect opportunity to chase a story, to go on this adventure, to try something that is a little maybe outside of the box. But I don't know. I I had spoken to my therapist and she's like, I think it would be good for you. You're struggling with figuring out who you are as a mother and and your new identity. And maybe ayahuasca is actually a good idea. So when, when I ran that past Jason, at first he flipped out, but then eventually, like all of my, you know, crazy harebrained ideas, I got him on board. <laughs> and yeah, it was scary. That night was t- terrifying. We well, were in it was the jungle. scary because of our surroundings were scary also. Like we were in, oh my God, in the yes. woods, in a lodge, and lodge is a, a generous term for where we stayed. It was more like a yes. hut that served food. And yes. we were, and it was really dark. And you know that there are lots of critters and snakes in Peru on the Amazon. We were right off of the Amazon. Um, yes. So it was a scary. And then we had to walk up to that tented therapy room or journey room or whatever the hell they called it. What did they call that? I don't remember. Doesn't I matter. don't know. It was some sort of like yurt or something. Yeah, a yurt. It was a yurt with toilets, but you know, toilets. Yes. I mean, you guys found the toilets. I didn't, luckily, never had to go there. Oh, yeah. I spent quite. A lot of time in the toilet. And what was your overwhelming feeling? How would you describe it? Well, I remember when he was passing around the cup and at first I was like, oh, dude, you're giving me way too much. I mean, like this is too, I I think I'm going to have too intense of a trip if I drink this whole cup. But, you know, he was the shaman was somebody that we couldn't really communicate communicate with. (laughs) So I guess I just sort of went with it. And luckily, Dan ended up kind of going into like a deeper, more like gnarly kind of dark place than I did. At first, it was like that feeling of like you're on ecstasy mixed with like maybe you're a little buzzed. So you feel very dizzy. And then all of a sudden, I found myself in my childhood home, a house that I I didn't even know I remembered. I mean, this was like lifetimes ago, it feels like. And I started sort of having these experiences that I guess I had lived before, but just in a different way. And it almost felt like I was on like a Spotify account where I could just like click to change the image or click, you know, click through songs. So I could like change the image. So if I didn't love whatever I was feeling, I felt in control enough to be able to kind of like flip over to a different vision. And then I saw Sid and at the time Sid wasn't speaking. So Sid was probably not a year old or, or had just turned a year, but in my vision, he was speaking to me and I, and I sort of got this piece that I needed where he looked at me and he's like, you're already enough. Like you don't have to prove to me that you are good enough to be my mom. You already are just by being my mom, you are enough for me. And that is what like just sent me into hysterics. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, that would make me cry. I couldn't handle it. I thought, and my dog had recently died. So I, you know, I going into it, I was expecting, oh my God, I'm going to have this like huge traumatic encounter with, you know, the ghost of my dog or, you know, but it was nothing about my dog. It was all about my childhood. And it really came full circle with, with seeing my son. I wonder if I did it now, if Bert would come to me in a vision and say, <laughs> I feel, enough. I don't know. Yeah, I probably he would. But then Jason came into it, right? Jason wasn't as big of a part, no. But I did love in your book when you're like, <laughs> I think Jenny was terrified because she realized how much she loved her husband. Well, you did because remember you came out of it. You're like, I have to call Jason. I have to call Jason. I'm like, are you going to tell him everything you felt? And you're like, definitely not. <laughs> no, definitely no way. He can never know. It would give him too much of an upper hand in our marriage. Yeah, no, no, of course. Don't tell him. I mean, he doesn't need to know. <laughs> yes, Exactly. And but then, no, I mean, it, it was it was super eye opening and I felt like I was a different person afterwards. I mean, I know that sounds ridiculous, but I did feel as though I had had 10 years of therapy or had just like upped my Zoloft to like 300 milligrams. <laughs> I mean, I was in a very good place. And I would say that lasted for maybe like a good year, year and a half. 
And then what happened? And then I descended into darkness again. Really? No. Uh, but but yeah, like I think that it's a crazy therapeutic experience. And unfortunately, as human beings, I think it's just hard to hold on to any anything. <laughs> so I, you know, maybe I just need to do it again is what I'm saying. We've talked about doing it again. Are you looking into it seriously? I would totally do it again. I just need to make sure that with my thyroid, it's okay. Now and- I have a hyperthyroid. <laughs> So right, I have to right. make sure that's okay. And what about your antidepressants? Because a lot of people say you, you're not supposed to do it if because didn't you go off your you, you didn't do it. I was while off you were- meds for yeah for like seven years. I was off meds and then I recently got back on. But okay. I would if we decided to do this, I would get off. I mean, I'm on a, such a low dose that it, it's not like a major deal. I've only been on it for like a month. So we could also get a bunch of people do it and do it right here in California. You know, right in like you can do that, right? I mean, yeah, now there's the, yeah. Yeah, you do it in like Topanga. To yeah, and I have a ton of friends that are always interested in doing it. And I'm I'm interested in doing it now that I've had therapy and I'm my head's in a different place. Like I now would like to see what I would get out of it because I bet I could go a lot deeper than I was able to then. Well, it was a yes. compromised atmosphere. I mean, the light wasn't there was too much light, and there was a camera crew. Right. Well, there was too much light from the camera crew. Right. Right. Okay, I'm just connecting the dots. Hand. Just connecting your little dots, Dan. Yeah, I would be interested in doing it again without it being documented. Oh, yeah, yeah. I would be interested in doing it again without it being documented and also in documenting it again. I I like to do those things on camera. I feel safer with like a crew. Yeah, Yeah, me too. I feel safer. (laughs) I do too. I do too. Brandon, would you ever be be chaperone to doing it from hearing Jenny's? After watching it, no, nothing about it interests me. Okay. Dan, let's Are talk- you serious? Really? Yeah, partly because I just, Dan laying on his mat, I just have such this like image that is resonating of him being so dizzy and feeling sick. And I hate throwing up more than anything. Right. And him saying, I would not wish this on my worst enemy is not exactly, <laughs> you know, the accolade I'm looking for when trying a drug. Like that's not a seal of approval for me. Okay. And diarrhea like crazy. That I doesn't didn't bother get that. me. I didn't, didn't get the diarrhea. But no. Dan, you do That's have- That's kind of fun, right? The diarrhea, well, I, you know, listen, I went into that ceremony thinking I'm going to sweat, probably shit my pants and vomit <laughs> and probably be thin. And yes. I remember gaining six or seven pounds on that trip. Only I can go somewhere where you, to a sweat lodge, have diarrhea, vomit and put on weight. Okay, for the record, Chelsea at first, she walked into this journey. She's like, I'm not drinking. I'm eating clean. I'm not like all of the basically the this list that she brought of things that she had to adhere to before doing the drug. After it didn't work the first time, she goes in. She's like eating Oreos. She's like, fuck it. We're okay. Give me a vodka. All right. I'm going to do it again. So at that point. Yeah, I think I had negated the effects of it by drinking the first night because I was like, oh, this doesn't work. I'll just have some. I guess I'm going to have to get a buzz a different way. Dan, let's talk about your experience and yeah. your initial reaction, what you remember feeling in- immediately. Same thing that Jenny mentioned with there's a, a sense of agency. That's bizarre. I had the same thing, childhood home. It was like I was like floating through space and then spat out into my childhood home backyard. And I, I remember you're aware of everything as you go. Like Jenny was saying, yes, Spotify so playlist. You have this rich detail. I remember thinking I could go and, oh, that's what the back door of my childhood home was like. I haven't thought about this in years. And I walked into my childhood home and I was like, oh, there's the trees to play in, blah, blah, blah. And um, walked into my kitchen, haven't thought of this in forever, rich detail. I'm going to go to, I made a decision to go to my childhood bedroom, walk down the hallway. Yeah. Saw all my old toys, shelves, everything. Yes. Went over, made a decision to go look at where my old toys were. And then when I turned around, it was me as a child sitting on the bed. That was like the price of admission moment where. Yes. Because there was this thing of like, oh, this is all too good to be true. I, remember, I think I said it. I think it made the cut where I was like, what this drug promises something revelatory, something that will change you a little bit. I said, it seems too good to be true. And then in my trip or whatever you want to call it, when I turned around and saw myself (laughs) sitting on the bed as a child, I was like, oh, that's, that's something else. That's, this has to be deep, even if I can't unpack it in the moment. And then there was like a time edit and I was holding myself. 
<laughs> like, Which is amazing. And I was like, oh, that's definitely loaded. I had this phrase come to my head. You are your own father. You have to be a good father. It was something like that. Which is a real kind of like, that was the deep sort of takeaway from the thing. It was a, it's sort of a slow burn, heavy kind of visual and phrase that. And were you able to change channels like Jenny talked about? Yeah, there was that that sense of, I would say that's one of the defining characteristics of that drug is is you, it's meditative because you're yeah. supposed to follow the shaman's singing or whatever he, he chanting. It was hard to follow that though because he was also defecating well, while while he was chanting. And, also, I was and he to was spitting into our hair was... and like beating us over the head with like leaves. I liked that part, <laughs> I have to say. I do like getting hit with leaves. Ostensibly he's he's the leader, but like I didn't respect him because <laughs> <laughs> I mean oh my God. anybody <laughs> Anybody who like so smoking, tiny. smoking is a bad idea. And like, I can't, like, if you're going to smoke, in a, in a, you're going to smoke in a rainforest. That seems like a ridiculous idea. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how, I don't know where, I don't know what. God, if you show me, God, if you tell me, God, if no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As a spectator, having rewatched this last night, I did not get anything from what you just said, Dan, like your experience. It seemed horrible because yeah, you're, yeah. when you're sitting there, you just say, like, I'm having, like, deep, dark thoughts. So, like, you seeing yourself as a child, that seems nice. That seems like maybe I do want to try this drug. But what we saw in the edit was not that at all. It was, like, absolutely under no circumstance would your experience make someone want to try it. Right. So but did I think, take a turn at a certain well, point? Well, no, I think, I mean... As far as the narrative goes, it had to focus on Chelsea. So 
I think I talked about my trip on camera, but they probably just couldn't fit it in. She had to be the focus. Like, it was probably just funny to, like, put in... You sound resentful. <laughs> well, <laughs> if, if finally I could get this story out. The people want to know, yeah. Dan. We want to know what... I can't wait to be able to refer people to this to get the real Dan story. Dan has a follow-up documentary coming out. <laughs> his, his offshoot <laughs> documentary called Dan Does Drugs. <laughs> well, now that it's been a few years, because I think Chelsea said before... Well, you just said now that you would try it again. But I think before you said that you're not really interested. No, I wasn't. Because I don't like the vomiting or the shitting aspect. And luckily, I didn't have to go to the bathroom. And I didn't shadooby, but I did vomit. But it was in and out. Like, I, vo- you guys were in the bathroom in and out. I don't know if you were vomiting or I'll whatever. tell you what happened yeah. when I went to the bathroom. Okay, well, let's start with I, that. I, I think I was the first to get up and go. And overwhelmingly sick to my stomach. Didn't want to throw up on camera. Went over to this stall in this hut and every single inch of the surface of this bathroom toilet walls everything was covered with with bugs it was yes totally oh my god it was so and and i thought about like i was like i <laughs> beetles thinking about beetles everywhere i thought about my home i thought about my home and like, you know, we were, I was just thinking about you. I yeah. was like, I hate you so much. Like, why do I like? There was a lot of heavy <laughs> anger directed towards me. I could feel it. I was like, oh, I better get out of the way. He's looking straight at me with like the devil in his eyes. Because he was looking at me and I was a reflection of the devil to you at that point. And then you. It passed. It did, I didn't throw up. I went and laid back down. And, and then that's when my trip started was when this wave of sickness passed I could lay down and start focusing. And that's when I was like, I was floating through space in this trippy kind of way. Yeah. I think that, you know, it's different when you do it right away because it has to sink in. I like the perspective. I like having so many years to reflect upon it because it's changed over time. And I definitely have to say to what you said, Jenny, that you thought your behavior changed for about a year. Like it changed my relationship with my sister, Shauna, forever. Because after that, I just... Like I had a completely different attitude towards her and, uh-huh. and I haven't, I mean, I, even now to this day, I mean, we just were in Martha's Vineyard a couple of weeks ago and she was texting me like she can do, like asking me kind of the same question over and over and, or we were on the phone or something. And I just went, Shauna, you seriously just stop. You're annoying me. And she's like, oh, sorry. Okay. And then we hung up and then I called her back. I'm like, I'm sorry. You're not annoying me. You can keep asking me the question. Like I have a thing in my head now to always Make sure she feels okay. And because for uh-huh. people who haven't seen the documentary, your visions were tied closely to Shoshana. Yeah, my visions were tied closely. I mean, I've spoken ad nauseum about my own ayahuasca experience. So if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know about it, it was about my sister and treating her fairly. Well, the first night with you guys, I didn't really get the experience because I guess I was distracted by both of you and your what was happening to you and I felt obviously <laughs> you responsible. <laughs> you looked pretty guilt ridden. I felt yeah. pretty bad about what was going down. So I kind of <laughs> I felt a couple tingles starting to happen in my feet when we were in that big yurt in the first night. And I was like, okay, it's happening, it's happening. And then you guys started moaning and crying <laughs> and bellowing. And I was like, holy shit, I gotta get involved here. So that night wasn't the night for me, but the next night when I did it alone with my boyfriend the shaman who spends his nights shitting his pants <laughs> in his cavariche or true religion true religion they were jeans oh my uh, God. Um, the next night was exactly that it was the ability to see yourself as a child outside of yourself you're watching yourself as yeah. a kid but you're not it, you're not the kid you're just watching and it was all scenes that were true that had happened and played out like this kind of phantasmagoria is the word i like to use cuz i think it best describes it is just like a shuffling of scenes in front of you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and it was my sister and i just laughter like you know it was just laughter on the water and i could hear us pee, you know we would tip each other over in kayaks and we'd end up i would always pee in my pants when i was a little girl and she would always laugh you know my brothers and sisters would always egg me on to do that and it was just us running down the beach holding hands and me pulling her and it was just a reminder like oh she and I are sisters we've been together 
longer than anyone else in my life. And we held hands our entire childhood without even thinking. And why am I sitting in such judgment of her? Because she wants to live in New Jersey and she's perfectly content raising kids and being a housewife. Like I didn't get that. And she, and, and that was like, there was a voice saying, she is her, you are you. You're the one who wants the attention. She doesn't want the attention. There's no reason to judge right. her. And that was like, oh. And then the other thing that happened right at the end, because I remember feeling that, and it was overwhelming, and I had tears streaming down my face because I was like, just felt so much love for her. Like, I was like, oh, be kind, be gentle. She's not like you. And that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. You know, she's a different person, and you have to respect that. And then I was overcome with, you have too many people around you all the time. It's okay to be alone. It's okay to spend time alone. And I remember thinking, oh, fuck, I don't want to deal with that. Like, I don't want to have to start to, you know, take a real look at myself, which was probably the over, you know, bearing or overall message, the deeper message there. But at that moment, I was like, no, I just got the sister message. I'm going to focus on that. I don't want to deal with spending more time alone or getting rid of some mm-hmm. people in my life or whatever that meant for me at that time. And I remember thinking, really, all I wanted to do was go downstairs and have a drink with the crew and tell them just what happened, which is exactly the opposite of the voice in my head telling me to sit there and be alone and be okay with being alone and without all the activity. So now, I think after the last two years of all of this, the book and the therapy and all of the stuff that I've learned from my psychiatrist and I think my brain is so much healthier and I'm I'm really curious now to see what would happen and I would definitely do it again. So how would you guys go into it differently? Because there's also a scene in the documentary where you're all on the porch and you're all scared. Like Chelsea says, no, I'm not scared. But Jenny and Dan, you were like speaking admittedly about that you were nervous mm-hmm. to go into it. And the shaman at one point said, you can't go into this with fear. And Chelsea, you talk a lot about now, like setting intentions for everything, like your day before you meditate, whatever you do. So now having done the ayahuasca, knowing kind of the pain and physical, physical, yes, that you're going to go through, you've kind of alleviated that one aspect of it. What would your intention or thought be now going into it? Well, I mean, that's a good question to ask you, too. Jenny, did you feel like you prepared yourself in the right way for it? Well, I just remember... There were a lot of like dietary adjustments and I just, I have starvation anxiety, so I feel like I couldn't do it. I mean, I know that you guys, you guys had almost fasted that entire day and maybe that is why I was like shitting my brains out for most of my trip, (laughs) but I don't know that I could adhere to, there were just so many rigid rules. It was like, don't have sex, don't eat tomatoes, don't, you know, they're just like crazy yeah, because I, I guess requirements. I, I guess it lessens the impact, but I mean, I would say that it didn't lessen the impact for you. Oh, for actually, me, no. How, how would we know? I mean, how would we know what impact it could? I have mean, had? I could have been Dan. I mean, maybe it was a good thing I had something. Yeah, in exactly. My I mean, I, <laughs> they said you shouldn't drink for like three weeks leading up to it. I think I didn't. I didn't, dr- I didn't I, drink the night before, <laughs> like that. Right, was, right. And you weren't allowed to have certain foods because it doesn't work as well. But Dan, when you look back at it, do you think about it as a positive? Because then Dan came out of it and said, hey, I need to get back to my family. My wife is pregnant. What the fuck am I doing here? So I think you were really mad at yourself and you were taking out your anger on me because I had given you the opportunity and you took it. Would you do it differently now? I don't have regrets about going. I it seemed like a truly adventurous thing to do. To go to and Dan, your wife was like, if I weren't pregnant, I'd be fucking all over this. So you have to go, Dan. <laughs> so yeah, I'm you can't a, be too mad. Yeah, well, yeah, no, we both went. I have no regrets about. It. I would do it again. I mean, there was precedent. Like we had this was Brooke was pregnant with our third kid, so none of them had come early before. So I think I'd be more meditative going in this time. I think I would be just a lot more chill, and there'd be way less anxiety around the whole thing. I mean, that's a good question. Where we all are now versus where we were four years ago. I mean, I know. No, Dan- I mean, like, yeah, Br- Br- oh, yeah Brooke being Br- being like seven or eight months pregnant and Jenny's kid being so small. Sid, right? It was Sid. Yeah. Yeah. Sid, Sid being mm-hmm. Sid being so small. That wasn't ideal. That was that was kind of shitty. So I think we'd be a little more clear headed, a little more of a blank slate going in. Yeah, this time I feel like I was in a bit of like a postpartum panic where I was like, I just need to do something to like, you know, figure 
out like my place in all of this. And I was really looking for answers that now, at least in that department, I feel that I have. Now I think I'd be more freaked out because I think with turning 40, I started to now, my new thing that I'm obsessed about and freaking out about is is dying. So I think I would have different, I would actually probably just have different fears. I would kind of go into it a bit more like, oh God, is this going to fuck something up in my body? Am I, should, should I really be doing this? So, uh, so you, wait, so in you, that regard, you have fears about, you have like fears about not, yeah, not, in, like not in an existential sense, not, not in like a, no, I was never a hypochondriac, but now I think with turning 40 and also there's been some stuff that's happened in my family with my dad and my brother and all this shit that all of a sudden I just, I don't feel so impervious. I just feel vulnerable. You know, my therapist always says, says to me, she's like, Jenny, you've always had fear before. It was like that your house was haunted, that you were going to get kidnapped or molested or that, you know, all of these things throughout the course of my life. But now she says, your fears are very age appropriate. You're 40. And of course, now you're like, you know, my hand's swollen. I need an MRI. Why, you know, why is this happening? Why is that? So I think that going into it, I can't, if I'm being completely honest, I don't know that I wouldn't have fear. I just think it would be different fears. Also, I think back to Brandon's question, what would your setting an intention? I, I don't know that any of us did that for ayahuasca, set an intention. I, we kind of just went in wildly and said, all right, let's yes. see what happens. And, totally. and now I did that drug, that frog toad venom called 5-DMEOT which mm-hmm. is like a near-death experience, which I didn't know that going in. I was like, great. I wish somebody <laughs> would have told me that before because it was miserable. But that's another thing where you like, it's so important to set an intention. Like what, even when you're like kind of casually having fun with mushrooms or whatever, cannabis, not really. You don't have to set an intention <laughs> to take an edible. But, but I <laughs> You should like, start trying that though. I know. Every, and believe me, <laughs> I'd be setting intentions all day long. <laughs> but I think it is important to know that, to go in and say, okay, okay, you know, I want to be present. I want to have a great experience. I want to learn about, you know, if you have a question about your career or your love life or your family or something like that. I think it's so, it's a good reminder to always just be, remember, because it's like every morning I get up now and I meditate in bed before I do anything. And I'm just like, okay, today, no matter what happens, I'm going to stay in this mood. You know, it doesn't matter what happens. It's not important. Just be present and be in a calm mood and non-reactive mood. That for me is like the most important thing to be Mm non-reactive because that's, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm born as a reactor. I've never set intentions before. That's foreign to me. When you set an intention, doesn't that sort of like narrow your focus? Well, it's just an overall intention. Like there could be a narrow intention or there could be an overall intention. Like, you know, for me, like the my whole therapy experience was to calm down, to not be running around and be on my phone nonstop and not be present, not looking at people when I'm talking to them, having five conversations at once. You know, for so many years on the show, that's how I managed things. I just 85 things were coming in my in, you know, and I would just do them all really kind of half ass instead of intending to have everything be my main focus. So it's not setting an intention in like, you know, it's more like today, don't be a cunt (laughs) is my intention. (laughs) Don't be a fucking cunt. Yeah, I think. You know, it's overall. (laughs) Well, you all have very different personalities between you, Dan, and Jenny. Yeah, exactly. Very, yeah, if there are, I mean. And different temperaments. So. Jenny, what number are you on the Enneagram? Did we decide? Oh my God, I'm a three. I'm like a fucking uh, tried and true three. Three. And what are you? Do I've you know never, what you no, are on an Enneagram? That. All right, we'll have to do that the next time you come over. That'll keep us busy for at least two to three hours. Well, since you're a pharmacological intuitive. Yes. And you say no mushrooms for me. No, because I, I think you get, this is why I think, I think you get very giddy already on pot. It's a lot to handle for you. Yes. And you get very excitable. And yeah. I, and when I've seen you drunk a few times and you're also get very excited. Yes. And I think that's great. And why, why, why take it further? Well, so is there someone you would not recommend ayahuasca for? Yeah, I think anybody who has a hard time losing control. Okay. Well, like Jenny says that now she's fearful of things, you know, more in terms of medical conditions. Jenny, well, that's typical, though. That's 40, turning 40. That's what happens. You'll get over that. 
I mean, I had that same kind of, you know, you realize that you're in decline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're in decline. Exactly. It's so fucked up. You realize that like, you are getting hot. older. But yes, I mean, it is a cliche that, you know, once you're in your 40s, you feel more confident than ever. Because I when I turned 40, I think I had like a definite crisis. Then the election put was like that, you know, a hat on a hat. I and it all kind of swirled together and it fulminated into like, oh, I this is unmanageable. So do you think yes. for someone who's already a type A personality, this wouldn't help them or it could, you know, hinder them? No, I mean, I think if no, I think it could help you. But you, you have to know you have to trust like what Alec said, Alec Kashishi and my friend who came on to talk about ketamine therapy. You have to trust and respect your brain chemistry. You know what you're okay with. And mm-hmm. people know like that you shouldn't push yourself beyond your boundaries unless you feel like you're in a very safe environment. And the most important thing is to do something like this when you feel like you are in a very safe environment, which we did not yeah. feel. No, yeah, was... we but Brandon, in... to, to your point, I, I am a, a bit of a control freak and I, I don't love being drunk. I don't love, I mean, E actually does nothing to me. Like I could go to sleep on it. It doesn't even affect my body for some reason. But this drug specifically, you feel... Like you're in, you have so much control. That was sort of the crazy realization to me was once I was on it, after I got over that initial like, oh, I'm dizzy. It was like, oh, whoa, I feel completely safe. I'm fully alert, aware of my environment, like almost hyper aware. So, you know, I mean, I was always a fan of cocaine when I was in my drug phase, and I felt like you have that same sort of like I could function on this. It's like even though reality. I'm having visions, it's not like a mushroom where you know I sit in like a bathroom mirror and like dig for zits that don't exist. It's not that. So it seems it's like far it's more like a mental control, but you're physically out of control. Like that dizzy feeling and you know not having control of your it's it's almost, or body. It's almost like yeah, but yeah, but you know what was so weird was when the shaman decided that he was done with us because <laughs> I don't know maybe we were laughing and he said that like our trip was over and it, he cut it short by like four hours. <laughs> I felt completely fine. I instantly felt fine. I was like, I'm hungry. I want some of those jungle noodles they make here. Um, let's go. Let's just like go downstairs and have dinner. Yeah. Yeah, you are. I like that. Right? I like that post high hungry too. I like yes. that vibe where you're like, oh yeah, it's you're exhausted from your night. It's especially when you do mushrooms too. Like at the end of the night, you're like, who wants pizza? That's the kind of the best totally. meal. The best. I remember I threw up and then had some like chicken soup in the forest. Well, you've been eating chicken <laughs> soup for forest. a long time because it's necessary for what's going on with you. But I definitely felt control over directing my thoughts too. But yeah. I did, oh, back to the intention. I do want to say I did when I went in there, I was like, this is going to be a happy experience. This is going to be fun. And the second time? Yeah. I was like, you're going to, this is going to be happy. Like the whole time I was just like, nothing bad's going to happen and nothing bad did. So that's also a good thing to say to yourself. Yes. I wonder why you had so much focus on your sister, though, because you have a bunch of siblings. So, Well, I would think that it must have been a subconscious understanding of my own to know that I behaved badly or that I was being too harsh on her. And it was just kind of coming to light in that way. So that, it, I mean, it had to be in my subconscious somewhere. Well, I think it's like you don't judge anything that you don't recognize in yourself. So I'm wondering, like, what in the way that she lives do you most recognize about yourself? Great question. You know what? hearing you say because I didn't know the last part that you started to self-reflect and you didn't like that image and that's probably because Shoshana is very comfortable like not having people around or just being in her element and you're not like there was a time where you didn't like being at the house especially by yourself yeah you didn't like being alone yeah so you probably see things in Shoshana that you're no, Shauna's pretty social though, like me, and she's got kids. And but she... in a different way. No, I think you're on. I think you're on a something. It's oh, about, really? Yeah, I think it's something like wishful. It's like and you have this life yourself. that's so extravagant, yeah. and like you're always trying to fulfill something. Like you said in the past about like these extreme activities. Like you're always on to the next thing. And it's yeah. just lately that you kind of rein that in and like, I don't have to do that all the time. No, I've well because I read that book, Essentialism, which Jenny you should read too. I think I sent it to you, okay. Dan, right? Essentialism no. by Greg McEwen. It's great. It's about just doing less better and not doing everything poorly about, you know, oh, really focusing it. on things. I'll drop off a copy. OK. But what you're saying about Shoshana, about the activity, like the create, you know, the skiing and the, you know, like whatever I like to do, ex- kind of like extremist in a way, like I like to go for it so hard is and my psychiatrist told me he's like, those are the moments where you're present. 
of course you love it because that's the only time in your life you've been present. When you're skiing down a mountain 90 miles an hour, you have to pay attention. And you can- Oh, wow, that's interesting. Yeah, he goes, that's why you feel the most alive. That's why you're so drawn to those activities. If you can incorporate that into your real life and be present in your real life like that, you'll still feel the same thrills and rushes. But, you know, you have to be paying attention all the time. So it's just another argument for being present and for reminding myself, oh, if I'm in the middle of a conversation and I start thinking about something else or if I'm driving and I'm not thinking at all, it's like, breathe, be present. You know, that's my issue mostly. And I've really enjoyed learning how to do that because it's kept it's you know now I can read a book without checking my phone every chapter even though I just read a book uh, Jenny that we're gonna have to send you Dan gave me a book called Tampa I'm reading it right now are you yes uh, is it amazing? this is by Alyssa Nutting this is a very disturbing subject matter book but it is very well written and somehow very darkly funny so, oh no, okay. So you, Send yeah, get I feel I feel really good about this recommendation. Do you? Yeah, I feel like you know, because sometimes it could be burdensome to give someone a book. It's like, oh fuck, you know, I got to read this now. But clearly, it worked. You liked it, thought it was funny, and it aroused you. I wouldn't say it aroused <laughs> me, Dan. No, I would not say it aroused me. But thank you for throwing that out there, Dan. Tell us a little bit where, about where you are in your life, because Dan worked with me on my shows for the last how many years? Eight before the yeah that sounds right something like that and then after we ended Chelsea you decided to go to school I started volunteering at a counseling center and liked it a lot and now I'm getting my master's and becoming a therapist amazing yeah. where and I'm, are you getting a, like are you going to be an, what, what are you going to are you going for it's, a, it's an, an MFT an MFT it's yeah. an MFT is it at Antioch it is yeah. I went to school there. Are you kidding me? No, I and, started getting my master's at Antioch. I loved it. Uh, are you gaffing people? <laughs> wait, wait, who were your professors? Oh my God, I'd have to look on my papers. I don't remember. I just remember the people that were, I was in class with. So did you graduate from there? No, I got a movie and I left. Well, that was the right thing to do. Jimmy. I had, you know, my friend just made this movie. <laughs> my friend just made this movie. She always puts me in whatever she makes. And, um, she made this movie called Hustlers that's coming out this this Friday, and she wanted to put me in a scene with J Lo and Constance Wu, and I I couldn't do it because I had class. <laughs> I was like, oh my god! And I regret you didn't it do because it, Dan. the movie is like so huge right now, and it's tracking so well. And and, and Dan, you, you are such a great actor. Thanks, thank you. And you did you didn't go do it? I'm surprised they would have let you out. Yeah, I was so focused. I, I, I didn't think it was a good idea. Wait, do you know one of the teachers there? I'm just going to... Did you have the guy who... Terry, Terry something. He was one of the Little Rock Five. I haven't had him yet. No. Oh, my God. It's one of the most incredible classes I'd ever taken. What's the, what's the Little Rock Five? So he was one of the one of the five students that was bussed into Little Rock. He's African-American and he was bussed in to go to this all-white school. When they were integrating and, the schools. Oh. But you're watching, we're studying it in class, right? We don't know until the very end that he was one of those kids. Like, he doesn't reveal that. It was one of the most insane classes I've ever taken. I might go to school at Antioch. I would love that. It's a pretty. Oh my God. I should just go to that program. I love Antioch. Anyway, because I want to learn about all that stuff. I'm so interested in that. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, there's a big emphasis. The classes on Freud, everything is so great there. They really do an amazing job. Well, great. Everybody seems like they're growing up. So I guess I just I guess the next step is discussing where we're going to do it again and who else we're going to bring in. Do you think Jason's ready to do it, Jenny? So, you know, that's an interesting question because, he, you know, he's sober and he still feel even though he knows that, you know, it, I guess it has been used to treat addiction and whatnot. I think he still has a little bit of trepidation with just the whole it being a drug thing. Right, right. Not that this is the kind of drug that's going to be like, you know what I want to get now? A bag of cocaine and I want to go get some hookers and go party. I mean, it's definitely not that drug. Right. But I don't know. Maybe for someone like Jason, like, you know, even like Advil cold and sinus could be a gateway drug. Who knows? (laughs) So what kind of drugs are you using in your life now, Jenny? Any? Do you use cannabis at all? You know, I really don't. It makes me too paranoid. Mm, Really? And I ate an edible before Jason's birthday last year 
I was in the sunken place. I couldn't get out. It was like a three-day trip. Oh, well, that's you overdosed. You overdosed. I just can't believe with microdosing it would be too much because you can get mints now. Like Petra has those two and a half milligram mints that are just, oh, well, Brandon actually just said, you know what? Never mind. Yeah. I'm waiting for your line to come out. I know. I I'm going to send you some samples. We're working and fine-tuning everything because of the vaping crisis. So I have to strip every, okay. all the chemicals out of our vapes and make sure that they are still smokable and effective because okay. I don't want to put anything out there that is going to cause any damage. And there are so many chemicals in these things. So that's what we're working on it's to fine-tune that. Well, I'll be waiting. I'm ready. Oh, it's good to be back together, you guys. Jenny, it's really annoying it that you're not good. here. When are we going to see I you know. again? I'll be out there the beginning of October. Well, can you let me know this? T- oh, that I'm leaving. I go on tour in October to Australia. Oh, God. I no. Know. Are you serious? I feel like you're we avoiding me on purpose. You. That's the no. impression I'm getting. Dan, literally, let me just tell you, Chelsea was here in town. We, we were in front of the theater where she was about to perform. I get a call from my sister-in-law who tells me that they literally pulled the baby's arm out of his socket. You know how, I guess it's called nursemaid's elbow. So, oh, so it wasn't yeah, the yeah, arm, yeah. it was the elbow. And we had to leave. Wait, That's what I felt happened? terrible. His arm was in a in an electric socket? No, the, no, the socket, <laughs> the elbow came out of the socket. Oh my God, that sounds terrible. It's a quick I fix know. though. So, it's a quick fix, right? They do it was that an elaborate move. excuse to, to get out of it, seeing Chelsea that night. It's we really went son. for it. <laughs> well, you guys went off and became parents and now you're paying the price. It's true. It's very true. Well, I love you. I hope to see you soon. I love soon. you. I uh, hope to see thank you soon. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Okay, well, this sounds like a good time to take a break. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season... We are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how, I don't know where, I don't know what. God, if you show me, God, if you tell me, God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men... How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry she would probably have sex with one of her clients hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl listen to queen of the con season five the athlete whisperer on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts 
Um, Dan, before we sign off, do you want to say any parting words or do you have anything you want to share with our listeners? I think that the only thing I'm really interested in talking about these days is the Peloton. Oh, yeah. That's right. You've got a real Peloton. I'm so, so I have a Peloton now too, and everyone won't shut the fuck up about Pelotons, which is so annoying. But when you told me, these are two things you made me do. Yeah. Get a Peloton. Well, no, I think I had, no, Tampa I read. And also to watch Succession because I had started it and then I stopped it and you convinced me that I had to rewatch it and start again. And I did start again last night and you were right. And everybody's right because the two things everybody keeps talking about are succession mm-hmm. and the Peloton. And I want to say to the people from Peloton, it's so annoying to hear so many people talk about a bike and to take <laughs> Cody's class and to take Hannah's class. It's just like, fuck off. Fuck off. It's just, it's like a cult. So now I'm resisting it. And I no, will do you this. Know, I don't are you going to flex? What are you doing I, with your I, shirt? I, I could if you want. I don't know. You just seem like. Listen. Think about the shaman, the shaman in the rainforest. Okay. That guy's like not half the leader that any of those Peloton instructors are. He's probably not wrong. Have you tried the Peloton yet, Brandon? No. Has Mabel? She may have. Okay. When I'm vulnerable and like in the middle of an effort, I unironically am so inspired by these people. Yeah. And I, speaking of Cody, I think, I think he's hilarious. He'll say, get a sip of water, grab a towel, and get your life together. Mm-hmm. Sounds pretty gay. He's he's obviously gay. Yeah. I do think you should say, though, that it is a good workout you've mentioned. Why did we? Why do I have to say that? Well, because for people who are interested in the Peloton, well, you have said Oh, it is. No, it no, is no, a good workout. Yeah, you're right, Brandon. I mean, I don't want to assail them. Obviously, people love it, and that's great. I just don't want to hear about it so many times a day because I resist that. But that's my own issue again. Um, I've tried it several times. I've tried to take Cody's class. I tried Hannah and I tried somebody else and I cannot get past Emma, 10 minutes. Emma Lovewell, Matt Wilpers. Okay. And Dennis is the guy that and everyone Den- tells And Dennis Moore is, yeah. So I'm going to keep going at it, but you know, I think maybe I'm just going to have to acclimate and take some slower classes or just do the scenic rides. The only issue with some of the scenic rides is that you're riding over things that don't have a bike path. So they take you over mountain ranges like you're riding your bike up a mountain. And mm-hmm. there's, there's and then you increase the resistance. So it's, but there's you no have path. Experience. There's no path. There's, I mean, I'm just... I, you know what? I can't speak to it. I haven't I'm tried not it riding on rocks. It, it doesn't make sense. Sometimes I'm riding my bike over water. Like there's, it's not the right... Anyone who's listening must know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, <laughs> please don't contact me. And if you do, please don't contact me. <laughs> okay, so I have added some stand-up dates. I am coming to Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Grand Rapids, Michigan, Vancouver, Milwaukee, Indianapolis, Kansas City, Salt Lake City, Oklahoma City, Toronto. We just added a second show there, and we are adding other second shows if your market is sold out. I'm also coming to Sydney, Australia on October 5th, I believe. I'm coming to Brisbane, I'm coming to Melbourne, and then I'm going to Auckland, New Zealand. You can go to my Countable page for information on social activism, or you can go to Emily's List and follow them because I have partnered with Emily's List to raise awareness for all the female candidates that they are backing, and they're all progressive women for 2020. So if you're interested in doing that, you can follow all of those places. And there's also a Facebook group that I've started called The Orange Room, which is a private group. And you have to, I guess, to get in the group, you have to mention something from the book that you've read. This is a support group for anybody dealing with trauma or loss or grief. And it is really just like a really beautiful space. And I've been really moved. I hop on there and send messages and respond to people and everybody else is really supportive of each other on there as well. And my new documentary is out tomorrow night on Netflix. It's called Hello Privilege. It's me, Chelsea. Yes, it premieres midnight on Netflix. And you can find me on Instagram or Twitter. Brandon, everyone keeps asking me on my DMs on Instagram about your Instagram. Uh, No, we should just get this clear. I have no social media. I don't care about it. It, Right. It's not for me. And we're going to keep it that way, I think. That's Mm -hmm. the right decision. I didn't make it for him, just in case you're wondering. Ma Belle, on the other hand, has to make her account private. Yeah. She's got a lot of fans. Mm Mm-hmm. Almost 200. Okay. Good night. A new season of Bridgerton is here. 
and with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because, God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Life Will Be the Death of Me is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.